Hello again, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new event podcast series hosted by its founder and editor-in-chief, Freddie Cocker. That's me. Since I started this podcasting journey, I've interviewed a range of different people across all walks of life. From fashion, sport and comedy, through to fatherhood, exercise, sexuality and poetry, there is nothing we won't try and talk about if it helps our special guests with their mental health. At Vent, standing still is just not something we do, and we wanted to try something a little bit different. Throughout my life, some of the most magical moments I've ever had have come in the middle of a dark and sweaty nightclub or in the middle of a field at sunset dancing to joyous records played by my favourite DJs. In these moments when I lose myself in the music, I'm not quite myself and completely at one with myself simultaneously. I feel no judgement, no fear and no one can chuck a label on me. Surrounded by amazing music and supportive friends, my mental health issues don't seem quite so overwhelming anymore. Without the DJ, I wouldn't be able to tell your listeners about it. However, what people sometimes don't seem to realise is that behind every DJ or producer is a person with their own story and their own mental health to manage. In this series, I'll be checking in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond, discussing their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. I couldn't launch this new series, listeners, without having a suitably brilliant guest for the first episode. This man is a producer and DJ at the forefront of the R&B dance scene, which is currently thriving in Australia, his country of origin. He's also one of the nicest guys I've met in the music industry to date, and at time of recording has been keeping his vibes going through his DJing live streams on Instagram. So I'm delighted to unveil Lachlan Dalton, aka Yarfunk, as Behind the Deck's first special guest. This is how our check-in went. Lachie, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you and, and how are you coping with the general madness right now in uh, over in Germany, I think, I believe you're living? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Berlin. Thanks for having me on the podcast, by the way. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting time. I've been learning lots and to be honest, my, like my general life hasn't changed a whole lot as a music producer. I've still been staying at home, mm. you know, working mainly from, from my place um but yeah it is certainly weird not to be be able to go out and you know play shows and go to parties and stuff like that uh so yeah it's been a it's been a challenge but it's also been a time where I've learned a lot and yeah I feel like it's been uh, a good a good thing as well to step back and spend some time investing in myself Mm. that's definitely something I've tried to do as well you know invest putting some time aside to do things that I perhaps wouldn't have done uh, if I was busy doing doing the day job and doing yeah. and doing vent, to be honest, so yeah, is it something that you found that have, has enabled you to sort of look into new skills or new techniques as a as a producer and as a, as a person, I guess, as well? Yeah, exactly. I've been using the time to not only work on my music and really focus on like making new tracks and stuff, so that once once all the virus is over, I can come out and I've got some new music to share. But um, yeah, I've been kind of looking back and realigning myself with my you know my goals that I was working towards in music and Mm. figuring out my overall direction I guess and just making sure that's lined up with all my goals and stuff that I want to work towards so yeah it's been a bit of a time of self-reflection as well as Mm. still working hard on the music Mm. well we've got all that to talk about on the pod so shall we just crack on yeah let's go for it 
let's start at the beginning, Lachie, and talk about your journey as Jarfunk from beginning to where we are now. So firstly, for anyone who's listening to the pod who maybe hasn't heard of you, um, how would you describe your sound, the music you play in your sets, and also um, where your name came from as well? Because I believe I mispronounced it in the intro earlier, which you, <laughs> which you corrected me off air. So thankfully, we've got that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, man. So um, I... My sound is it's funk, it's disco. I would call it modern funk and disco, basically. Mm. So yeah, I'm producing dance music and like disco music with modern chords, with influences from guys like Pomo, FKJ. A oh. um, little bit of Take the next question out of my mouth. I was going to ask about them on the pod, but oh, there's <laughs> so many influences, man. It's yeah. on my uh, dance R and B playlist. All those guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've got a lot of influences and. Yeah, those guys are definitely some of my favorites, you know, with this kind of funky, still danceable sound, but it's not quite mm. house. It's not quite um, disco as well. So it's this in-between mm. of electronic and live feel. I always say to people that um, whenever I hear like a, this sort of like dance sort of um, funk R&B sound, like I can instantly, like you can instantly hear it through the beats and the chords. Is that something yeah. that you you found as well like when people sort of listen to it for the first time they can see well they can hear influences from other people and and, and just recognize your sound straight away yeah exactly like i've got a, a friend actually back in perth where i'm from in australia and we're very we got very similar music tastes and as soon as i show him all my music he's like oh yeah that's you know that's pomo oh that's something from yeah. detroit swindle you know mm, mm. straight away but um yeah i feel like i've kind of develop my own sound now when people hear the chords and they hear some of the grooves they're like ah oh, yeah that definitely sounds like a jar funk beat mm. <laughs> and, and and how did the um how did the name come about because that's quite unique and you know it, i've there's a lot obviously a few djs out there who've got very similar names i you know i remember saying to people like there's the zed bias and zed dead and zed yeah <laughs> <laughs> to make the dog seem very confusing there's also my jane coles and mj cole yeah exactly no, my name, um, when I was kind of conceptualizing the name, I was just writing down all these words on a bit of paper that I, you know, that I thought kind of resonated with me and the sound that I was going for. And I'd, I'd sort of written funk and soul and disco and all these words, which I wanted my sound to be. And then I'd also just mm. written like some random syllables like jar and you know the letter j i just liked how that looked for some reason <laughs> and then um my mate uh, i was sort of sitting in a room with my mate and he's like oh what about jar funk i'm like oh yeah it's okay you know i might use it let's see how it goes and then a few days later i was like yeah this actually kind of sticks so mm. yeah shout out to josh for coming up with my name <laughs> if he's listening he's created your brand <laughs> yeah, exactly and it reminds me every day <laughs> just um just tell me a bit about your how your love for music and, and djing and producing started now mate um who were your sort of musical influences growing up your your favorite artists and records that maybe shaped you as a, as a dj and the person you are now yeah so man the music i was listening to or the first thing that really got me into dance music I guess was like the Ministry of Sound albums in about 2000 oh. and god what was it must have been 2010 I think I used I to um I it. used to think they were an actual government ministry when I was younger when I was like eight I was like oh this Ministry of Sound sounds great it must be really fun to work <laughs> there and my mum was like no that's actually a club yeah that's cool 
um, I, yeah, so I was listening to like the annual and the clubbers guide and those things. Mm. Um, and that was the first time where I really heard music and I was like, wow, this is, you know, I'm interested in this. I'm, it's not just something I hear on the radio and it was something I actually sought out. And I think I actually bought it from a, like a CD store. There's these stores back mm. in Australia called Sanity and, yeah, I just liked the look of the artwork or something, I guess. I must have been about 14 or 15. Mm. I was like, yeah, this artwork looks cool. I'm going to buy this and just see what happens. And, yeah, I really liked the music. And from there it just blossomed and I actually went into like trance music as well, Armin Van Buren. Armin Van Buren, I was just about to say. Armin Van Buren, yeah. I loved all that kind of stuff. Like Gareth Emery as well I really liked. Um, And then Paul Paul Oakenfold and all those people. Yeah, all that stuff, exactly. Um, so I was listening to that for ages and then I actually went through a phase of liking like metal music. Oh yeah. Like, so Rage Against the Machine or sort of more post-hardcore stuff? Yeah, like um, Parkway Drive. Uh, so I went through a phase of listening to that and then I sort of came back to dance music again. And mm. then after that, it was really, um, yeah, I went to funk. I started listening to some, like it was like disco, funky house, I guess you call it, like head yeah. candy and stuff like that. You know, there was a lot of that stuff that I really loved. And then that kind of evolved into uh, like Disclosure and FKJ yeah. then where I started mm. getting into these guys. And Disclosure was a big one for me because that's what really brought me from, I was still kind of into this Eric Prids kind of Prider yeah. progressive house sound. Mm, mm. And then I heard Disclosure and I was like, oh, wow, what is this? Like I've never heard anything like this before. Mm. And that was um, that really sent or started me on the journey of Jar Funk and I think they probably even inspired me to to start my project. So yeah. Mm. Shout Big out. Big shout out to Disclosure. Yeah. Um I remember we're listening to Disclosure for the first time when I was like in university. I think I was in my first year and I was like, wow, this sounds their early stuff sounded so much like garage. Like yeah. the UK garage scene, and um, when they did a please don't, when they did the um, the remix of please don't turn me on, I think it's yeah. by MJ Cole. I was just like just blown away, and then it obviously evolved into this like warm, like melodic house sound, and they just they just dominated the world for a good few years, didn't they? I mean, yeah, they exactly, were massive. Yeah. Um, the first record you you ever officially put out was in 2015, which was cleverly called Debut. <laughs> now, just just tell me about how that came about, the, the, the build-up to finally putting it out and the sound that accompanied it. Yeah. Um, so that one, I guess I was really just trying to be Disclosure on that record, I've got to be <laughs> honest. Like, <laughs> I was, um, I think I was listening to, like, My Intention is War and those early, yeah, those early yeah, kind of yeah, before Settle and even Settle, that was a major influence for that. And, yeah, I was like, yeah, I want to have some crazy chords and then, you know, a big drop. So, yeah, I started messing around with those kind of ideas in Ableton and that was, yeah, that was the first track that really came out where I was like, yeah, I could um, I could actually release this and, and put it out there. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. And it was funny, I was talking about this, you know, I look back on that track now and I'm like, wow, this is really bad (laughs) Um, but yeah I I'm still kind of happy that I put it out there and I had this mentality of you know basically screw it I'm gonna I'm just gonna put some stuff out there if people Mm. don't like it no worries but I like it so Mm. that's, that's what counts 
um after this you put out your your first ep called passion now how did you progress as a producer and beat maker and evolve your sound as you you put out more records from from then to the jar funk putting out music right now yeah so i guess i didn't really change anything i just kept making music and and getting better um Mm. and i was trying out new things as well like sampling i think days was on that ep and that was one of the first Mm. tracks we actually tried to sample something from an old disco track the spinners i believe was a sample and usher as well Mm. um so yeah i've been experimenting with all this sampling stuff and just evolving in general as a producer and yeah those those were just the tracks that that came out next basically Mm. just talk to me about the first dj set you did now and and the story behind Mm. it you know where where was it how did you feel in the build-up to it the moment itself the aftermath and what did you learn from it that you took forward in future sets because i imagine you know being a producer is very different to being a dj and not everyone can be a dj and not everyone can be a producer and some people don't really seem to realize that i think look kind of on the outside looking in yeah, yeah, they're definitely two completely different skills. Obviously, they're related in the fact that you're kind of doing the same music, but yeah, it's definitely a different a different skill. So the first set I ever played was actually at my it was my girlfriend at the time at her sister's twenty first birthday. Love it. It's always birthday parties, isn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> it is. Oh, actually, I think before that, I like me and my mate, we basically just played tracks at little house parties and stuff, you know, like we'd mm. take our decks around and we basically asked them if we could play <laughs> the house party. Um, but yeah, the, the first real one, which we actually got paid for was this birthday party. And she gave us like a hundred dollars or whatever it was at the time, which was amazing. You know, it gave us this, I guess the belief that, Hey, we could actually, you know, make some money from this thing that mm. we like doing. Um, and yeah, we, we obviously overprepared way too much. Like we had a lot of the wrong music, but it was just the music that we liked, I guess. Um, and she also gave us some music that she, you know, she wanted to hear at the party, which probably saved us in the end because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize then was like, oh, you know, you're actually playing for an audience and you got to kind of know what the audience is and know the thing you're playing at. And so we brought all this you know, house music and electro house stuff to the party. And, you know, it turned out to be a lot of her family, like her grandparents. <laughs> so we're just banging out this electronic music to these 80-year-olds who are like, what is this? So, yeah, I think the thing I learned that day was that know your audience and mm. yeah, be prepared for that. Mm. We should also say that um, every DJ has a, had at least one bad set in their life, maybe even two or three. You know, oh, yeah. if you I mean, can, if you can remember, just just tell me about one particular time that sticks out in your head. You know, where the set <laughs> didn't go so well. Maybe what happened? How did you feel in the midst of it? Uh, and what did you try and learn from it afterwards? Oh, okay, yeah. I, one moment just sticks out straight away, and it's I had this gig in Fremantle again back in Perth, and it was at this little bar. Um, you know, it's basically people just go to the, go there to drink on a, yeah. a Wednesday night, thing, I believe. Yeah, chill vibes. And so I just play kind of loungy house stuff, stuff that I still liked. Um, but yeah, it kind of wasn't the vibe of the place. <laughs> people, people really like commercial music and, and rock mm. music at this particular place I was playing at. But yeah, I'd still just go strong house music the whole time (laughs) and I remember there was this one night I was a lot of the times I would play to maybe like 10 people and it it did get really depressing you know I was like wow it's 
is this really <laughs> what I signed up for here when I when I started DJing? Mm. Um, but yeah, there was this one moment where I was playing this long, like seven minute house track, <laughs> and then the breakdown finally came, and I took my headphones off and I heard someone in the bar scream. Thank God for that. <laughs> you know, just so happy that the the music had stopped for a moment, and yeah, that was a that was a definite low. But you know, you got to go through these things as a DJ and just mm. get on with it. I always say, if you can uh, if you can laugh about those experiences, you own them. So it's good that we can we can yeah. have the, we can have a good conversation about them. Exactly. Um, the art of DJing itself is something I'm sure people perhaps ridic- ridicule and you know hyperbolize in equal measure for you Lachi, you know what impact does does DJing and producing have on your mental health you know how do you feel when you're in that moment mixing records and feeding off the energy a great crowd gives you and and how do you get them on side perhaps when they might not be feeling it yeah I mean I guess the reason I like to DJ is I like to share the music that I enjoy and if other people can enjoy that at the same time I think you know, that's the greatest reward when the crowd is kind of feeling what you're feeling. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's all that matters. You know, if some people don't appreciate it, then, you know, I can understand that DJing is not for everyone and electro- electronic music is not for everyone. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there as well who do like it. So when you can share that passion with with other people, I think that's the greatest feeling you can get as a DJ and that's what mm. makes it worth it to me. Just just talk to you about your journey into the industry itself now, navigating that. Was was there a moment where you, you know you felt like you belonged in it? it? It could be a positive reaction to a single launch, you know, a great DJ set, or or maybe just a compliment from one of your peers you admire. Yeah, that's a good one, actually. So I guess in in Perth, like back in 2010, there weren't a lot of people listening to this type of music. I had a few mm. friends who were into it. Probably one main friend actually who I who I started de- DJing with like as a duo and he was really the only guy I knew personally who was also into this kind of music. So mm-hmm. I did definitely feel isolated in that sense. Like I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this weird guy who likes this music. There's no one else out there like me. Mm-hmm. And then I think the first moment where I realized it was not just me was when I went to university and I joined this club that's called the Electronic Music Appreciation Society. Wow, and aptly named. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah, EMAS was the name. So, um, yeah, I once I joined that club and I actually started to meet lots of other people who were also into dance music, I was like, wow, there's like a, there actually is a little community here. Um, and yeah, I still, and even within that club, I still kind of felt the particular taste I had, no one else really felt. Mm. Um, so when I came to the UK a couple of years ago and I, you know, the electronic music scene there is just crazy. There's so many Mm. people listening to it. It's on the radio, you know, you've got BBC radio one, so many clubs playing house music and dance music. And yeah, I definitely felt when I came to the UK, I was like, wow, okay, this is a big thing. It's not just some weird niche you know Mm, mm. so yeah just getting out there and I I think meeting people who also like this kind of stuff that inspired me to to keep going with what I was doing Mm. and speaking of peers you admire it's safe to say you know the R&B and and funk dance scene is is pretty thriving right now from Australia you know UK US you've got the likes of yourself Young Franco Midnight Pool Party Pomo Mm. 
Midas Hutch, Dirty Radio, Cosmos Midnight, Fabix, just to just to yeah. name a few who are consistently putting out bangers for the people. And I'd recommend anyone who's listening to this pod to go and do a crate dig through them because I've spent absolutely weeks just listening <laughs> to stuff on nonstop. Who out of that group or or outside of it would you say you admire? You know, who do you collaborate with in and outside of the scene and and who do you perhaps draw inspiration from or would love to work with in the future? Yeah, so definitely all those guys you mentioned above. Um Joey Young Franco, he was one of the first guys I met within Australia who was also on this same like R and B funk dance kind mm. of vibe as me. Um, and I still work with him today. Like I've played some lead synths on a few of his tracks and he sends me over stuff. Sometimes I write chords over it. Um, so we're always working together. Fabish as well. Like I'm actually at his house right now. (laughs) We, uh, we're always working together, working on music, um, doing DJ sets and stuff. Cosmos Midnight. Yeah. I really love their music as well. I've not connected with them yet in, um, in real life, but we've spoke online a little bit and I love their stuff. Pomo is basically my idol. <laughs> any, <laughs> He's been doing anything, it for a few years, man. Yeah, anything that he does, I'm just all over it. Um, Kay Trinata as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, big fan, big fan. Yeah, all these guys. Is there a dream collab as well you have that in the scene or outside of it maybe? Uh, yeah, probably Pomo. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, or another one would be Pharrell. Like, I love the Neptune. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chad He's been doing it since the 90s, Pharrell. man. Yes. <laughs> So, man, that would be a crazy opportunity to have one day. Mm. Obviously, mental health in the music industry and the DJing community is something, you know, I, I care passionately about. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do as well, Lachi. It's, it's the reason we're doing this podcast. For you, yeah. how, have you how have you found the scene in being a, a supportive environment and maybe safe space for people to be open about their mental health? Or does, does that community as well as collaborative spirit exist? Yeah, I definitely think the music world is open to this conversation because I guess a lot of people go through it. So mm. it's nice to know that there are people out there who, you know, can listen. Mm. But, um, yeah, there's also a lot of traps and dangers in the music world, as everyone knows, mm. you know, like alcohol, drugs, you know, that whole mm. lifestyle. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think you just got to be careful with it. Like I haven't, I haven't been playing a lot of gigs, so I haven't, you know, been overwhelmed with, with this environment, Mm. I guess. Um, But, yeah, I just try to, you know, I've come from a sporting background as well, so I take my physical health really seriously. Mm. Um, And I I really try to keep my, you know, my drinking alcohol use, I guess, down to, you know, just parties. And Mm. Mm. even I even went through a dry January and I had some gigs in that period where you go out and you play sober. And actually most of my gigs I do play sober because I, I really like to remember and know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, so, 100%, yeah. Yeah, I think as long as you're aware that, you know, this stuff does take a toll on your mental and physical health, mm. um, yeah, that's that definitely helps and just mm. you know to keep yourself keep yourself on the right path. Mm. We, we can't talk about DJing and mental health without um, talking about touring. Now, this probably came... I guess, more to the forefront from a mental health perspective after the loss of Avicii in April 2018. But it's something that's affected so many DJs, you know, publicly and privately, I would imagine. You know, we've had the likes of um, Benga talk about his mental health, um, Ben Pierce, as well as I'm sure many, many others that um, can't can't come to the top of my head. But 
for you, Lachie, originating from Australia, you know, any kind of tour probably meant a long haul flight. Um, mm. How does how does touring impact your mental health and well-being? Uh, and do you think that the conversation around it is, is changing in the dance music community and the music industry more widely? Yeah, for sure. Like I think touring definitely has this aspect of, you know, it's fun, it's a party, um, but when it's your profession, you've also got to take into account your health. And I think people are starting to realise that now. You say like people are beginning to talk about it and I think that is a good thing because it's making people realise, oh, you can't party all the time. Um, So, yeah, like I've been to Tokyo and South Korea the most probably in in recent years and it is tough. You know, you're taking these huge flights, you're not sleeping much, you you basically go there the day before the gig and then you play – the next day and your you know your sleep patterns all out of whack and yeah it is tricky but i think as long as you again if you understand that you need to get your sleep in you know you need to eat well you still need to do all these things that you do when you're not on tour um mm. just to yeah keep your health in check mm. And for any DJs who who might be listening to this pod, or just you know producers, and 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 might be struggling with their mental health, you know, what would you say? What would you say to them as a message or or, or piece of advice? I guess um, the main I can only speak from experience, and, mm, and the main course. things that have helped me have been keeping your physical health in check for starters. Um, you know, there's it's a very for a full time music producer. You know, you're, I'm basically just sitting at my computer all day every day. Mm. Screen time is, yeah. Yeah, so it's easy to, you know, to get lazy and to forget about your physical health. But, yeah, I really do make an effort to go and exercise five times a week and go to the Mm. gym and do all these Mm. things because that takes, that does make a massive difference. And I guess then the other thing is just making sure you know what your goals are and and having a direction. Um, I feel that really gives you a sense of purpose and, yeah, and just meaning to your life. Uh, mm. So, yeah, that's what I've tried to do is just make sure I've always got some goals. I know where I'm headed towards. And, yeah, that that gives me that sense of purpose and direction. So mm. that's what's helped me. Let's talk about your current projects now. At time of recording, you recently released a new single with Dirty Radio called The Baddest. Now, just tell me a bit about that and the vibe you wanted to create. You know, I've definitely shared it on the vent channels and it's just an absolute definition of a feel-good record. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, so um, that one was, I guess I was I was listening to a lot of disco at the time. I was listening to uh, Tuxedo, who are some of my favorite producers. I literally love every song they've ever done. So, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to go for something in that vein, like a funky dance track with mm. some nice chords and, you know, a groovy synth bass. So, yeah, I, I guess that those influences just came out in that track and then I sent it over to the Dirty Radio guys who are from uh, from Canada Mm. And yeah, they always kill everything that they do. Everything, so, literally everything they kill. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've really got their craft down pat now, and you know they've got a great team of um, Shady, who's the the singer, and also the writer Zach, who writes and produces, and then Tony, who's the engineer. Um, so yeah, they've they've got their craft down pat, and they they just smashed it. Mm. And uh, prior to this, you also put out a collection of experimental singles, if you don't mind me saying, with vocalist Aaron, yeah. Aaron Pfeiffer or Aaron Pfeiffer? Yeah, Aaron it's, Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah they're, 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 
for anyone who wants to listen to them, they are absolutely drenched in poolside vibes and, you know, accompanying summer imagery. They're, they're a much more stripped back and sort of melodic version of the up-tempo sound you usually create. Just just tell me a bit about the creative process behind this. You know, what was the thinking behind this body of work and, and was it something out of your comfort zone? Yeah, it definitely was out of my comfort zone because I never made anything really that was that slow. Um, but I still... You know, there's a lot of music I'm listening to that isn't dance music, like of course, yeah, Honey Cologne, um, even FKJ, like he's doing. Um, and yeah, Aaron and I, we definitely have this love for uh, Mild High Club was a big influence there. They're kind mm-hmm. of like an indie jazz soul group. Um, and yeah, it was when I first moved to Berlin, and I was, you know, I was just trying out a lot of different things, um, and I was in this real. I had this feeling of, you know. Like you said, experimentation, I wanted to try something new. So, yeah, I went for it with Aaron and we we just did something that was completely new and, and different to what I normally do. I, st- I guess it's still got the same sort of chords, the soulfulness there. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was fun and I think I needed to do that to just to I, – I think when you're an artist and a music producer, you need to do what you feel at the moment. Mm. which can be hard when it when it's not your normal sound but yeah it was definitely something I needed to do and I was I'm really happy that I did it it kind of flopped I'm not gonna lie (laughs) well I I listened to it (laughs) I think yeah I know thank you man there's definitely a lot of people out there who still enjoy it but I think the thing with Spotify these days is that anything that's not your you know your normal sound and it you know Mm. then it goes into these playlists where it's put next to a dance track or something and then people go oh this isn't a dance song Mm. so they'll just skip it and I think that's kind of the reason but yeah I'm still really happy I put it out there and and that people are enjoying it Mm. well I'm glad I'm glad that you're happy about it mate um I don't want to talk too much about this topic because it's all anyone is talking about but but for you Lachie you know how has how has COVID-19 affected you as an artist you know economically and and obviously the disruption is brought about to your livelihood but also to your well-being as well yeah, so I guess the the main thing that's changed for me, like I was mainly doing sessions in Berlin. I wasn't doing a whole lot of gigs. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think just not being able to work with singers directly is um, is an interesting one because a lot of the energy you create and, you know, when you're making a song, a lot of the energy mm. comes from what's happening on the day. So, like, you know, how you both are feeling, just the vibe in the room at the time. And so mm. not being able to, to capture that and having to do it online, uh, it's, it's just a new challenge. It's a different way of working. And, like, I've done it with the Dirty Radio guys before. They, mm. um, like, we, we've never really, we've written one track that hasn't been released yet in the studio uh, when they came over to London. But, yeah, most of the times we write back and forth online and it's just a different way to work I wouldn't say it's better or worse but Mm. yeah it's just something different and in terms of my how it's changed my everyday life um, I guess I'm still working from home so that hasn't changed a whole lot Um, just meeting up with friends and being able to to connect with people is hard not having that as much Mm. Uh, so yeah, you need to do it in other ways. Like I've been connecting with more people on FaceTime and mm. although it's not quite the same as hanging out with people in real life, um, yeah, I've been speaking to my family more. I've been speaking to my friends back in Perth a bit more as well, friends from London. So, yeah, I've just been trying to keep up my contact with people basically mm. and still have that 
um, yeah, that social aspect to my life, trying to keep that going. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I've been doing the same, but I, I have actually been saying to a few people, I am getting sick of uh, pub quizzes online. You've been trying to plug the creativity gap right now by doing sort of live stream DJ sets on your Instagram. You know, why did you um, feel that you wanted to do them? You know, how have they perhaps helped your mental health and, and what's been the reception to them? Yeah, I guess uh, a big part of my project is playing music out and sharing the music that I like with people. Uh, and that, that does give me a really good feeling when I'm doing that. So, yeah, I guess we wanted to, to keep doing that. And people still want to hear this type of music as well, even though they can't go to live music sets and, and DJ sets. Mm. People still want to be able to get this same feeling as well. So I feel like it was something we needed to do and to to keep sharing those vibes. And, yeah, so me and Chris uh, Fabish, we decided to do some, some sets from home. Um, yeah, and I think it just gives... Yeah, I don't know. It gives people the sense that there still is all this stuff out there that's happening and they can still feel connected to to you and to the music in some way. So I think it's a good thing. We talked about Jar Funk. Now let's go behind the decks and talk about your own journey, Lachie. So firstly, tell me a bit about your, your early life, your childhood, your teenage years, and whether looking back there were any sort of early mental health experiences that you can pinpoint. You know, who's the Lachie we meet here? Yeah, so, I mean, I had a really great childhood, to be honest. I, was, I grew up in, in Perth in Australia in a, in a nice, like, outdoor environment, and I was very sporty. Mm. And I, I love tennis. I played a lot of tennis growing up. Um, and yeah, I guess I was actually talking about this last night with Fabish was that, you know, I was going through, um, I guess, primary school and I was one of the most popular kids in the school. I was actually the head boy, oh, um, wow. mainly because I could play sport. And, you know, in Australia, mm. if, you, if you were good at sport, people automatically, for some reason, just think you're awesome. <laughs> Same in the UK, yeah. mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I got to high school and I, I went to a different high school than all of my friends. And, you know, I, I basically had to start again and no one mm. knew who I was and people didn't really care too much then about, you know, if you were good at sport or not. So I was like, oh, shit, maybe I need to actually develop some other skills as a as a human and maybe mm. sport isn't everything so it kind of it was a bit of a hit to the system but again a lesson that I I needed to learn is that <laughs> sport isn't life <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um just tell me a bit about how your your love for tennis began because you, we spoke up off air and you know up until the age of 22 I believe you played competitively and to a to a certain level professionally if that, if, if that's correct who, so who've encouraged you to sort of um, pick up a racket and, and take you down to your local club and, and what impact did that have on you? Yeah, I guess it was def- It was my mum who got me into the game. She played tennis socially um, and she really enjoyed it. She never really forced me into the game, but she, you know, she took me down to the tennis club. She got me hitting some balls, meeting some other kids who mm. also played the game. And from there, it really just developed into this passion and, and I, I still love tennis. Mm. So, yeah, it was a, basically my life from about the age of, I think I started playing at eight and I was mm. playing a lot of different sports. And then when I got to about 12, I had to, to, choose, um, to choose one sport to mm. focus on and that happened to be mm. tennis because I was probably the best 
Uh, that was the best sport for me out of all the sports, playing cricket as well and some football. Mm. So, yeah, it really, I really love my tennis journey. It was some of the best years of my life, like traveling around Australia, playing tournaments, meeting other people who also love the game. Um, and I think, yeah, it taught me how to, it taught me a lot of things, like taught me how to develop a passion. It taught me how to work towards a goal. It taught me what it was like to, you know, to achieve stuff and that it was actually possible because, you know, when I was starting out playing tennis, I remember this quite clearly. I was, I was 12 and I just started playing tournaments and I was pretty bad. I would lose a lot of the time in the first or second round and then you'd always look up towards these guys who, you know, would win the tournaments and, you know, they were just like you, just young kids who, who loved the game. And I guess that taught me in a way of what it was like to to set a goal for yourself because I said to myself, okay, I want to be like one of these guys. I want to win a tournament and I want to be the number one seed. Um, and even though it, it seemed a bit ridiculous at the time because I was losing all the, all the matches in the first round, eventually after just the constant work and training, I managed to get there and I was the number one in the state for about two years. So... Mm. Yeah, it was a really positive experience for me and I think it helped me to, to get to the point where I am today of, um, you know, setting somewhat far-fetched goals and then being able to achieve them and really believing in myself mm-hmm. that I can achieve them um, mm-hmm. just through the hard work and, and through putting time in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that the culmination of all this and the, one of the hardest things I ever had to go through was when I was about 21 years old. I'd been at university for about three years and I was studying engineering Mm. and I hated it. I just did not, like I was good at it. I was really good at maths and science and stuff in school Um, and I just had no passion for it and it was very, very hard. I'd also been into music at this point for about three years, four years, and I'd started learning how to produce. I was getting better at DJing. And I told, I sat my parents down and I told them, mum, dad, I'm going to quit engineering and I'm going to be a DJ. <laughs> what, what a moment. <laughs> oh, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to, to do because, you know, they'd put so much time and effort into my education. Mm. Um, they actually were paying for my college that I was staying at as well while I was at university. So to say to them, you know, thanks, but I'm going to be a DJ now, my mum basically flipped and she was like you know you're an idiot (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) there's no way you're ever making money from that and Mm. you know that's hard to hear from probably the two people you love most in your life yeah Yeah, I guess um so yeah that was uh that was definitely a tough experience but now probably five seven years later down the track where I'm actually there I'm I'm now a full-time music producer Mm. Um, it's just crazy to, you know, to think that I had the the belief and the drive to, to do those mm. things and get to the point where I am now. So it's a bit of a, mm. bit of a proud moment, but yeah, also a very good lesson to, to follow your, follow your heart and follow what you believe in, no matter how crazy it seems and no matter how many people tell you, oh, that's stupid. You know, <laughs> for me, it was coming from my own parents, but <laughs> yeah, it was, um, um good experience yeah i mean i guess i guess they, they that probably came from a sort of lack of education on the on the djing scene and and probably just concern for you as well for your for your livelihood in the future was there a moment where you know you were sort of 
I don't know, you'd, you'd gained a bit of success or you had, you know, played a really big, a really big set and your mum went, oh, wow, crikey. Yeah, you can do this. You know, I, I'm, I, I've changed my mind now. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally understand where my parents are coming from because, you know, my dad, he's in the Navy. He, he was like a commander of a submarine. Oh, wow. And yeah, so he, he did quite well in that field. And my mum's a physiotherapist. She went to university and they both, they both took very, you know, relatively safe pathways and they went through university. And so that's what mm-hmm. they knew. They only knew of that life and they knew that would lead to success. So when I said I was going to go and be a DJ, it was just something that they didn't understand at all, you know. Um, so I can understand why they were scared and concerned for my my overall well-being, like you said. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I completely understand their reaction. And, yeah, for me, I just, you know, I'd seen what people were capable of doing. You know, D- DJs had basically become rock stars and music producers as well. So I knew that there was a market out there for it and there was a chance for me to to do the same thing. Um, and I think the moment where it's probably happened more recently where I was able to quit my job because I was a tennis coach for many years for about probably up until last, the start of 2019, I was tennis oh, coach. Oh, wow, so fairly almost, recently. Yeah, so almost 10 years. But when I was able to um, to finally quit that job and, and just do music full-time, I think that's when my parents realized, oh, okay, yeah, he's, you know, he's actually – he's actually capable of doing this and even you know before that there were moments of success where I'd have some songs played on the radio I'd have some gigs um but yeah nothing that really looked like it could be a sustainable career path so yeah I'm really happy to have found that now Mm. you 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 talked a bit about off air about when we were talking about you know what you wanted to talk about on the pod Lachi, and there was this idea of you know positive influences in, in your life you know obviously your parents are are positive influences in your in your life but you know who has who has helped shape you you know then and now as well and, and being that kind of pillar of support for you mm. yeah i'd say definitely my main pillar of support is my best friend josh um, shout out josh yeah shout out to josh man uh he and i both went on this journey together of kind of re recreating ourselves basically from the point of you know, we both wanted to be professional tennis players up until the age of 22 and we'd started playing these semi-professional uh, futures tournaments, they're called, but we never really have any success. We'd lose first round, second round. We'd never get any professional points and we just weren't making any progress. So that was essentially the death of our <laughs> dreams as professional tennis players, you know, um, and we had to sit down and go, wow, you know, this probably won't be um my career and my my life anymore so we're going to have to think of a new way and kind of reevaluate our mindset and stuff and yeah Josh had a big influence from a guy called Darren Tandy who was a professional tennis coach uh for a player in Perth Matt Ebden and he was a real mindset guru and he taught Josh a lot of this stuff about you know positive mindset working towards goals all of this stuff and then Josh basically filtered that onto me and and from there we've we've gone on our own journey mm. of um you know motivation and positivity and all this stuff and yeah I'm really thankful that and lucky that I had Josh in my life to to start me on this journey 
because otherwise, you know, it could be a completely different story. I could be still at uni doing or it doesn't have to be uni. It can be anything that I didn't want to do, you know, and just accepting that that's the way it is. And, yeah, he really gave me the belief that I could do whatever I wanted to do. Mm. Something I think which which isn't spoken about enough in professional sport is what happens when you retire, Lachi. Now, many mm. players struggle massively with you losing that structure, you know, the feeling of the highs and lows that come with professional sport and that sense of purpose. When you were coming to the end of your sort of tennis journey, did you did you share that feeling or, or draw any comparisons from it in your own experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, like is like you said, you get such a buzz from having that routine lifestyle you know you train then you go and compete and you have the euphoria of winning and then obviously the 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 bad side of it when you lose as well but succeeding in that sport is is a great feeling and training and all that that lifestyle like you said is great and you and I guess one thing that helped me from moving on from that is to still keep the physical training up Mm. um you know keeping my physical health really good because I just love that feeling and, you know, it impacts so positively on your mental health as well. So I, I kept that up. Mm. And I guess the the main thing that helped me move on was, you know, developing my other passions and, and music was one of those things, you know, like I'd always had music as a thing that I enjoyed and I kind of liked but I never really went into it 100% and developed it to the point where it is now. So, yeah, I think it's, once you're moving on from sport, it's just fine, like, you know, thinking, sitting down and thinking, what are my passions? What other stuff do I like? And really going in and developing those passions and figuring out maybe if one of them is something you're able to do for a career afterwards, which happened to be mm-hmm. music for me. Mm. Uh, just as a final question, Lachi, before we um, finish the topic, this has been a really, really great topic, I think. You spoke off air about this idea of, of letting go of the fear of a safe job in inverted commas when you decided mm. to become self-employed you know what did you mean by that and what advice would you have for any sort of part-time musicians or DJs thinking about making that choice too yeah so I guess what I believe on that is that um you know there's there's always risk you can forget about not having risk in your life like the risk of of going or becoming a DJ is obviously, you know, you're not guaranteed work. You're not um, always guaranteed that you're going to have money all the time. But then again, you got to look at the risk of having a job that you hate, you know, that's going to have a big toll on your mental health. You're going to feel like you're, you know, you're not working towards anything you genuinely care about. And I think that's, that's the hidden risk there of um, that you don't necessarily see. Um, and people always say, you know, a safe job or how safe is it really to to be doing something you hate for 40 years, you know? Mm. So I think the risk there is on the mental health side. And I'm, yeah, I can 100% say that I'm much more confident doing something that's slightly more risky, so to speak, in terms of money and for it to be something that I really care about. And I think if you do do something like that, which, you, which you're passionate about, then you will find a way eventually you know, if you just persist and you keep at it, it might take, for me, it took 10 years to finally develop music into something where I could make money from it mm. consistently. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's the only way I can see for me to, to, yeah, keep a positive, keep on a positive track and, mm. and give your life some meaning, you know? Mm. 
And when that moment happened, did it did it feel like a sort of weight was lifted off your shoulders? Did it feel like a release? You know, was there a, an endorphin rush, or was it sort of uh, you felt like there was this was the start of a new chapter for your life, maybe? You know, I haven't actually kind of sat down and thought about it like that yet because the way it happened for me was I I was a tennis coach up until, like I said before, the start of 2019 mm. and then I moved to Berlin and I was actually looking for a tennis coaching job here but I just wasn't able to get one because I don't speak German and that's quite tough when you're trying to coach people, <laughs> yeah, yeah. particularly kids who don't speak any English. So I just wasn't able to get a job. And that essentially forced me into this corner where I was like, okay, maybe like now I have to make something happen from music. Otherwise, I'm not going to have any money. Mm. So I started looking to making sample packs, um, you know, doing uh, productions for other people and things like this to make some money. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it wasn't really a moment of saying, oh, yes, I can quit that job. It was more of a shit, I've got to do something now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's been a bit of a bit of stress there. Um, mm. And even now, I wouldn't say like, you know, I'm, I've made it and I'm comfortable now. I'm still mm, working hard course. and mm. still, I still have that fear of, um, you know, not being able to make money. So mm. yeah, I guess that just keeps my, keep, keeps me working hard and I think if I did stop and relax, then maybe that would be dangerous. <laughs> mm. But yeah, it is nice to step back and say, hey, I've been doing music now for almost um, just over a year or about a year and a half full time now. So it's nice to be able to say that. Our final topic of conversation, Lachi, and it's one I have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, I know there's a few bit of extenuating circumstances, but how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Yeah, I'd say it's quite good. Um, I mean, having my passion and having my goals that I'm working towards that always keeps me um, at a certain level of mental health. I'd say it feels like I have some sort of purpose and direction in life. Mm. Um, I will say I've been slacking a little bit on the, on the fitness side of things just because uh, my gym hasn't been open and uh, it's been more difficult to, to find ways to work out. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to get back on that and uh, get outside a bit more, get into the parks once they open up and, um, yeah, try to get the fitness back. But in general, it's been, yeah, it's been quite good. Mm. And if you feel comfortable saying what mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? Um, I guess the main one is with, is with music and music production, um, and I think it's sometimes, you know, you feel this sense of worthlessness or like that you're not good enough. Okay. Um, and I guess it, it comes, uh, it probably comes from production and, you know, everything is hard when you're a creative and, you you know, you've got really high standards for yourself mm-hmm. and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you make something that isn't up to those levels, you're like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm shit, I'm no good at this. Um, but, yeah, that's been a, another lesson as well, like just knowing that, you know, everything you, you do as a producer isn't going to be the best thing ever. So just accepting that and, you know, knowing that you just got to keep making stuff and eventually you are going to come up with, with good ideas, but not every single idea has to be the one, so to speak. Mm. Would you say that some sort of, you know, it's it's a comparison problem. So you're sort of comparing yourself to, you know, other records that you've made or would you say it's a sort of like imposter syndrome where you don't feel like 
you know you're 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 living up to the standards that you know you 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 imagined you set yourself previously and if people find out that you did this then it would make you some sort of fraud what 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 would you say it's kind of down to that um that that thing you talked about yeah i guess it's a little bit of both you know like hmm. You see all of these great songs on Spotify. Like people generally only put out their best work. Yeah, um, much like so, mental health. <laughs> yeah, people only see the best. It's the exactly. highlight reel. So you never see the struggle behind it. You know, like when you see Disclosure's album, you see twenty amazing tracks there, and you don't see you know the other two hundred tracks which are trash and that they just threw in the bin. You know, mm. so. I guess it creates this sense of oh, everything that I have to do has to be perfect. You know, I have to do good things all the time. Whereas in reality, you know, everyone does stuff that isn't great. Um, but you just have to do it and keep moving on with it. And eventually, you know, the good stuff will come. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the other side of it, like you said, is the imposter syndrome where, you know, you have this idea of yourself that is, you know, is really good and, you know, I know what I'm capable of and when, when you don't live up to that, it's, it can be annoying sometimes. But, mm. yeah, for me, uh, I guess just being aware of that and knowing that it, it isn't really this way, that's helped me to, to cope with that. Mm. And what age do you think you were when you first realised that these feelings you were having weren't physical and, and they were actually in your mind? Hmm. I probably... I mean, I've always felt those feelings from from when I started making music, um, particularly at the beginning. You know, when you don't have the skills yet and you haven't really honed in on your craft, it um, it's very frustrating. But I would say maybe in the last few years is when I've only really recognised it and said, "Oh, okay, this is something real." You know, I have to I have to deal with this mentally. So, yeah, just looking into that and talking to other people about it as well. You know, I always talk with Fabish about these kind of thoughts and, yeah, and just finding ways to, to deal with them in your own mind, you know, like we're always going to have problems and challenges and I think they're always, you're always able to overcome them if you seek mm. the right information and advice. Mm. Um, when you talk to people about this and, and you know, Fabish is someone you've, you've spoken to, is, is it something that you found has been shared or other people have, have had the same things as feelings as, as you have? And, and also sort of, you know, obviously you, you spoke about this being a, a trigger for you, but what other things have you found in life that might trigger your mental health? You know, is it things people might say, you know, sounds, sensations? Yeah. Um, well, first, like you said, talking with Chris about it and, and I guess other music producers, they definitely have the same feelings and the same mm. thoughts. So it's something that everyone goes through and I'm sure, you know, people in other professions have the same problems as well. So everyone has them. Um, music being such a subjective thing, uh, there's going to be people out there who don't like your music. So you are going to hear, you are going to get bad reviews sometimes. You are going to get... Yeah, you're going to get rejection. Like you get so much rejection in music actually. That's a a good little topic to bring up there. Like, for example, when you're promoting a single, there's this site called Submit Hub mm. and you basically pitch the song to all these blogs and all these um, magazines and tastemaker mm. sites and that and you'll get probably, if you pitch it to 100 of them, you'll get about 95 rejections. So, oh, wow. yeah, rejection is something you really have to learn to deal with and just accept that it's a part of this game. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and just you, you got to know that 
music is subjective and and not everyone's going to like what you do. But I think no matter what kind of sound you're doing, there are people out there who are going to like it. So you got to know that you're doing it for those people and you're doing it for yourself as well. Mm. Not everyone has to like it. It's really opening, actually, what you said there about the the, the sort of submitting procedure. It sounds a lot like PR, which is what my 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 day job is. Um, I sort mm. of imagined that um, you know, music blogs were really like they were gonna they'll just they'll just pick up your record and they would happily promote it. And so yeah. this sort of really archaic, maybe submitting submittal process. Did that did that that idea of rejection sort of on a regular basis take you quite a long time to to get adjusted to it and you know the mindset you have now which is you know obviously there are people that will reject your music but there are equal amounts of people who will love it did that also take a while to get used to yeah for sure like um I guess when I started making music I was just showing it to my friends and you know they'd all of course say it was good (laughs) or they'd say they liked it Actually, not all of them. I did have some friends who were very blunt and they would tell me it's shit, but, you know. In a kind of joke, <laughs> also good in certain, yeah, in certain ways. You need that as well. Um, but, yeah, then, you know, when you go out into the, the world of promoting and trying to push your stuff and at the start you have to do it all yourself, that's when you realise, like, oh, wow, um, you know, this is quite hard and rejection is frequent. So, you you know, it's just something you've got to deal with. Mm. Um and, yeah, I guess I got to that point again just through talking to other people about it and, you know, uh, having them share their their own personal um, feelings on the subject and their experiences. So, yeah, you just got to know you're not the only one out there who deals with that. Mm, definitely. You you talked a lot about sort of physical exercise being a really great method that you use to improve your, your mental health and well-being. Are there any others that you found that have improved it? You know, which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that haven't? Uh, you mean techniques to improve mental health? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I like to read, I, I definitely like to read mindset books Mm. Um, watch things about mindset, listen to to people talk about it as well. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes you have, you know, you, you go through points where you're feeling uninspired or you're feeling a bit low and I think those are the times for me where I need to develop and grow more as a human. That's what I see those are because, um, yeah, like sometimes when I'm on the up side of things and I'm, you know, I'm doing really well, it's all good, but then you know you. I think you have to keep learning as a as a person and keep growing in order to to keep yourself on a positive track. So, mm. yeah, I just recognize in those moments where I'm feeling down that okay, this is a time where I need to to grow. And I feel like yeah, listening to podcasts, learning things about mindset, reading books. Like lately, I've been watching that Michael Jordan documentary and I found oh, that amazing. Oh, it, mate. It's just, oh, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> it is really good. And so, yeah, that's that's what I do is recognize these points as an opportunity mm. to learn. And and how do you support friends in your in your own social group who may have mental health issues or, or be going through a bad patch of just poor mental health, whether that be men or women, you know, outside of the uh, helping them through positive feel-good vibes of your music? Mm. Yeah, I think the best thing you can do is just be open to listen. Um, and although I'm talking a lot on this podcast, I would say one of my better skills is is my listening. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I think just being able and being able to recognize as well when someone wants to talk, you know, mm. um, 
sometimes they'll give you a, a very subtle cue that they, you know, they want to talk to you about something. And I think just being able to go, oh, okay, you know, do you want to talk about that a bit more and being open to just to listening and, and sympathizing with them, you know, that's, mm. the, that's the best thing you can do as a friend. Mm. Why do you think it's important that, that we as men open up and, and try to normalize the conversation around mental health, not just in the music industry, but as, as men more widely as well? Yeah, I think because, I guess because, you know, as, as men, there's this whole image of you have to be tough and you have to, you know, just take the, just deal with the problems yourself, you know, and, or, or don't even talk about them for that matter. Where, um, mm. you know, I think I read the suicide rate for men is, you know, much higher than women. And, you know, mm. that probably comes down to the fact that men, yeah, they do think that they should deal with it themselves and there isn't anyone out there they should talk to. But, yeah, the conversation is is great that it's starting to happen and it's making men feel like, oh, wow, you know, I can actually get some help with this stuff and I don't have to just deal with it on my own. Mm. And just as a final point, Lachie, and I've, I've absolutely loved doing this pod, mate, and uh, I hope you have as well. Um, what do you? Th- what more do you think we have to do, not just in the music industry to help those who are struggling with their mental health, but but men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in, in opening up about their mental health? Yeah, that's a good one as well. Um, I think continuing to talk about it, uh, continuing to promote the idea of positivity is something we need to do. And it's a tough one because now I think in the modern day it is, it's somewhat not cool to be positive in a sense. Like, you know, being, you know, there's all, all the memes and stuff on Instagram now about like being a piece of shit, you know, um, being depressed, having depression, all this stuff. It's kind of viewed as this funny, almost cool thing. Mm. So I think finding a way to to recognize that those things, although it might be funny on a meme, it's actually something that's quite serious. And mm, yeah. I think just continued conversation about it, people, particularly in like positions of power and uh, celebrities and stuff, promoting this idea of positivity, I think that'll, that'll definitely help. And podcasts like this as well too, you know, promoting this idea of mental health being something you actually do need to take care of, not just... Um, you know, laugh off. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this first episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Lachi, aka Yarfunk, for being the first special guest on this new series and for letting me go Behind the Decks with him. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, let us know. Give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling very generous, write us a review on iTunes. Yarfunk's latest single, The Baddest, will play us out and we'll put a link to where you can stream it in the description of the pod. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks. And remember, it's always okay to vent.